Hi, this is QD Clinics. Uh, I'm David Liu from Melbourne, Australia. Just another one um, from earlier in the week. Uh, I see a lot of patients who had uh, arthralgias and myalgias in the context of having cancer immunotherapy. Um, and this is relevant to that because in those patients, we're often even more cautious than we would be in an ordinary situation about uh, giving glucocorticoids, about giving prednisolone. Uh, we worry a little bit that that could potentially dampen down the cancer immunotherapy response. Um, that's something we're very cautious about because the last thing we want to do is dampen down a potentially life-saving medicine. Of course, oral steroids are something that we shouldn't just be throwing around in the first place. Um, and so this is all relevant for this patient. So he's a 75-year-old uh, man. He has metastatic melanoma um, and he's being treated with uh, nivolumab, uh, which is a PD-1 inhibitor. Um, he's about four and a half months into, into have, after having had the first dose of nivolumab. And his oncologist has sent him across uh, because uh, they were worried about the possibility of polymalgia rheumatica as an immune-related adverse event. Because uh, this man had been having uh, pain over both shoulders, they've really been getting in the way of things, had been waking him up at night and had been really bothering him. They were worried that it was going to be a problem for the cancer immunotherapy, especially, and they were worried he was looking pretty miserable and they wondered what to do and whether, in fact, they were about to start prednisolone, but they thought they'd call me first. Um, I think that's always a good move. So really, um, this shoulder pain, definitely on both shoulders, both lateral shoulders, um, had more of a mechanical feel to it. Certainly there didn't really seem to be a lot of, it'd been stiff right throughout the day a little bit, but the stiffness certainly seemed to get worse throughout the morning. Uh, the pain certainly did seem to be mechanically triggered as well, although it certainly was painful when he was lying on his sides at night. And critically on the physical examination, uh, and I think this is where uh, our skills as rheumatologists uh, are what helps other specialties. Uh, we, uh, for him, it was interesting that if I abducted his shoulder, then that brought on the pain from about 60, 70 degrees of abduction. But flexion uh, was certainly, uh, passive flexion was uh, perfectly fine. And in fact, he had some, uh, he had positive impingement test on both sides. And really what he had was bilateral subacromal bursitis rather than polymyalgia rheumatica. So the good news is that I was able to give him uh, corticosteroid injections into both subacromal bursae, uh, local anesthetic effect, woke up at a very happy man, and I um, called him last night and actually he's still doing very well. Didn't need to give him any oral steroids, uh, didn't even need to give him any systemic steroids, and really that means good things for him in general, good things for the cancer immunotherapy doesn't have polymyalgia erratica as an immune-related adverse event um, and now is able to sleep. So I think that what, what that teaches us is that, uh, of course, as rheumatologists, we're still very dependent on um, our physical examination. Some of this can be done through telehealth, of course, but uh, when you've got that video there to be able to see movements, it's not always easy over um, video, but certainly getting to do those shoulder movements is critical abduction. Um, so in polymyalgia we don't see um, certainly classical polymyalgia and seemingly polymyalgia as an immune-related adverse event. We don't see uh, problems always. We, so we do see problems with both abduction and with flexion of the shoulder. 
Whereas sometimes with mechanical disease, depending on exactly what we're looking at with uh, shoulder tendinopathies, especially when they're uh, really, it's really the subacromial bursitis driving things, uh, we don't see um, issues with flexion, but we certainly do with abduction. Good lesson about the power of physical examination. Keep on joining us for all of October where it's PMR month at room now because we have to make room for PMR. Hi, it's David Liu here for QD Clinics. Uh, another QD Clinic today, patient I saw earlier in the week. And the presentation I think we probably are all familiar with from the clinic. So it's a 54-year-old lady um, who came in and she'd been referred in with lots of arthralgias and myalgias. That was where the referral was at. Um, and really over the last six months, she'd been having problems with a lot of different joint pains and muscle pains. And it was really difficult for her to describe all of them. And I'd ask her where they were. And she said, well, they're everywhere, but really in my neck, shoulders, back, um, but really in a lot of different places. And she was struggling to locate them. So really this had been building over the last six months, a lot of fatigue, a lot of lethargy. Uh, she was postmenopausal. She'd been after the change in life. Um, so otherwise pretty healthy, uh, just asthma as a comorbidity. But she'd really been struggling with this. It's really brought her down progressively over a couple of months and really and the last six months had not been fun with her for her. And she'd and she'd been she'd been struggling and she was struggling in the in the consulting room. Uh, and I had some labs there. ESI was 30, CRP is 15 from primary care. Um, but we were struggling to get through some details. So sometimes what I do in this situation is that you need to take a bit of a circuit breaker in a month's year uh, because the patterns of pain and exactly where they're affecting are clearly very important. Uh, it's very tempting in this kind of patient to think, well, these are all um, postmenopausal myalgias and arthralgias that are, my, um, are really uh, sarcopenia leading to um, mechanical tendinopathies, or perhaps this is all uh, fibromyalgia, but um, perhaps it's not. And especially when you've got labs like that, which are not entirely normal. Uh, so what I do in this situation sometimes is I give patients a pre-printed mannequin uh, that I've got there on my computer, print off a template, and, and I gave her the piece of paper and a pen. I've got one which says pain and one which says stiffness. And I gave her an opportunity to, to color in and really try and draw it out. Um, and often that's really a way of just trying to capture the, when things are affecting a lot of different places, uh, to really try and, and, and locate that down in a way which doesn't feel overwhelming um, for her or for me for, for, for in, in reality. So um, I got her to fill that out and she really uh, was, it was really revealing. She uh, colored in really the shoulders, the lateral hips, lower back, um, just around the buttocks, around the ischial tuberosities, then a little bit around the elbows, a little bit um, around the posterior medial knee, so just on the inside of the knee. And it's really the pattern that we classically see from polymyalgia rheumatica, especially when it affects outside of the shoulders and the hips. And uh, these are the patterns that we see on imaging as well, but these are the patterns we often see clinically. Um, it's probably under-recognised, um, but really this uh, didn't seem like uh, fibromyalgia or postmenopausal um, arthralgias at all um, seemed very much in keeping with polymyalgia rheumatica. 
So uh, good news is um, I did end up giving her 15 milligrams of prednisolone and I called her uh, last night to see how she's going and she's doing really well on that. Um, everything seems to have melted away like uh, what's the phrase, spinach and Popeye, as we said earlier in the week with our Tuesday night rheumatology. So I think that's an important lesson in that we sometimes if we're struggling to be able to uh, locate uh, regional pain, regional stiffness, then having a different modality like a piece of paper and a pen can be enormously powerful. For more QD clinics, keep on tuning in to this month's uh, QD clinics of uh, the, our PMR month uh, because we need to make room for PMR. Hello, this is Sebastian Sato with the University of Pittsburgh, and this is my QD clinic for today. So last week, uh, a 64-year-old patient with a diagnosis of PMR um, came to my clinic for a second opinion that she had not been seen by a rheumatologist prior to this. And interestingly, her diagnosis of PMR had been done a year prior in the context also of a concomitant workup and eventual diagnosis of a renal cell carcinoma. So her PMR presentation was... Um, with clear prolonged morning stiffness, shoulder and pelvic girdle symptoms, no peripheral arthritis symptoms at that point, um, with pretty kind of significant elevation of her inflammatory markers and patient was started on prednisone 15 uh, with a quick improvement of symptoms. Uh, parallelly, diagnosis of renal cell carcinoma was, was done and the patient uh, was um, underwent surgical excision. There was no evidence of any metastatic disease. And since then, disease has continued to be in remission. And despite attempts to taper prednisone, again, diagnosis over a year ago, uh, every time uh, steroids hit kind of five uh, milligrams or below, symptoms quickly recur. Even, even more so for the past months or so, uh, even doses of five, six, seven have actually persisted. Uh, and upon us meeting, what she told me was, I haven't been able to comb my hair for three weeks. So, uh, however, her inflammatory markers had been normal. And the uh, both her oncologist and her uh, primary care, who under my impression had kind of thought of this also being as a, as a perineoplastic presentation, uh, you know, were concerned and saying, well, why are your symptoms not coming back are so persistent if your inflammatory markers are normal and your malignancy is actually under 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 remission at this point? A patient on exam had elevation of her arms both up to only 60 degrees bilaterally, had significant pain on both sides, had actually some mild um, tenuitis of her left wrist, also inability to stand up and limitation and pain with uh, flexion at her hip level. Also, pain of a patient uh, bilaterally. This scenario of PMR as a perineoplastic presentation is certainly not uncommon. Uh, it is something that we certainly usually consider, and and especially when assessing a patient with uh, new onset symptoms that are concerning for PMR, we always need to keep in mind uh, to check for other constitutional symptoms and always keep malignancy under our differential as well. However, in this patient, the malignancy had actually been addressed. There was no concerns for any uh, recurrence of disease. However, her PMR symptoms were persistent, and she had clear uh, persistence of symptoms characterized, again, by pain and stiffness. If someone tells you that they're stiff until 8 p.m., and that's when they finally see a little bit of uh, movement, and then they go to bed, and then 
next day starts again, it's uh, where active disease needs to be considered. At that point, uh, the, with inflammatory markers being normal, as much as we sometimes, of course, rely on this, there's certainly not, not bulletproof, as we know, and the patient presentation and exam and, and findings are what are more consistent for this. Uh, it would have been interesting, although this was not done. PET scan as well, that was done, not that uh, could have been done as well for remission, although this was not, there were not findings in this patient assessing for PET scan uptake in the shoulder and pelvic uh, in the hip region could also be used to, for assessment of active uh, PMR. There are other findings as well, as well as the dorsum of the hands or interspinous processes, but uh, these were not available for the patient. But again, the, the clinical picture uh, primed overall. Patient was started on higher dose of, of steroids for uh, looking for symptom improvement. And given the fact that this was already one year on glucocorticoids with persistent symptoms, um, there was going to be a discussion about steroid sparing agents as well, uh, considering both either CST marts uh, or biologic treatments. So again, always to keep in mind, PMR can present as perineoplastic, but uh, it or it can be also concomitant. Again, we're talking about an age group where malignancy can occur, but the fact is that it can continue uh, to have symptoms and affect patients even in the absence of and complete remission of the malignancy. And uh, inflammatory markers being normal, but a patient who's still stiff and painful will uh, might not will still point to disease activity. So with that, I hope you have enjoyed this case. And again, um, listen to the patients, not only inflammatory markers. Take care. Hi, this is Sebastian Satwi. I'm a rheumatologist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And today I'm gonna be, you're gonna be joining me for a QT clinic. And what better than a typical or a fun case in rheumatology than uh, a fear of a known origin or FUO. Uh, as we always say, when there's a suspicion for FUO, you always get an infectious disease, a hematologist and um, a rheumatologist. And this is the part that I think we, we are it's very important for our involvement in some of the cases that uh, we get consulted on. This can be certainly in the outpatient setting as well as in the inpatient setting. The patient that I'm going to be talking about today was a patient that I saw in the hospital. And she was, um, she was a 68-year-old um, with really no significant medical history, maybe some mild hypertension, and that was it. She had recently retired from work, um, and, and she kept... which. In her job, she had a. It was a very busy, kind of fast-paced job, and she was, um, you know, completely independent, physically active. She powered walk five five days a week without any issues. But one day that changed, and she didn't feel like walking, and she felt fatigue, and she started running low-grade fevers that were, you know, low one hundred one, happening mostly on a daily basis. There was. She was not having shortness of breath, was not having any rashes, was not having any headaches, was uh, not having any abdominal symptoms, any urinary symptoms. She was just running some uh, low-grade fevers and was having significant fatigue. And that's how she initially reported it. So that took her to her PCP, who started working her up. Um, there was some uh, mild anemia. There was some thrombocytosis in her initial labs. 
elevate, elevated inflammatory markers. Uh, but there was a concern for infection. Unclear necessarily why what that was brought up initially. Uh, you know, she had other extensive workup, but she ended up getting a, um, a TTE, so an echo, which showed the possibility for, you know, some abnormality, possible, you know, calcification versus vegetation in her aortic valve, uh, which raised the concern for the possibility of endocarditis, even though also in the outpatient setting, her blood cultures were negative. Um, she still continued to have fatigue, still low-grade fevers. And, you know, she ended up having initially CAT scans, which did not show anything else. Um, and she was not able to do the power walking as she usually did. She got a, ended up getting admitted to the hospital. And when while admitted to the hospital, the reason was, of course, the concern of uh, this possibility of, of a vegetation and subacute uh, bacterial endocarditis. Again, although her cultures were negative and she didn't have any kind of unusual exposures, no history of any, you know, IV drug use, no history of any weird traveling. And she um, re had a TEE, which just showed that it was some, you know, calcification. There was no concern for any vegetation. Blood cultures were negative as well. And while inpatient, she got a PET scan, which the PET scan did not show any significant abnormalities. Um, so she had seen ID, which ID said nothing. She had seen him on and had had some blood work and she also had a PET scan, which the PET scan did not show any abnormalities. Um, she had seen her primary care slash cardiologist who had admitted her hospital for the concern of a subacute bacterial uh, endocarditis. And so missing down the list was rheumatology. And while reading her note, there was already kind of some mention of, which had not necessarily been really paid too much attention to, about some aches and pains and some uh, myalgias, which were attributed to the fact that, well, maybe she's having fevers and possibly this case. Um, so um, one thing again, uh, which always we talk about GCA as a potential cause of an FUO. The PET scan did not show any uptake in any of the aorta of any of the major branches, which is somehow is reassuring for that. While walking in the room after knocking the door and going in, she was in her bed and I saw her stand up, which took her a while, took her a while even with help. Uh, and as a lot of patients with PMR usually relate to us, um, it's that night that you go to bed feeling fine and that morning that you wake up that you cannot just stand up from your bed so upon further questioning uh, she was having significant shoulder pain and stiffness again the typical thing which everyone describes which is true and patients and you know everyone assumes it's weakness but it, if you really probe the patient it's not weakness per se it's pain what is driving the the limitations in their upper extremities and lower extremities, uh, significant prolonged stiffness. Uh, and again, this was someone who had a full-time busy job, who was used to having daily physical activity, who was at this point not being able to even stand up of her bed by herself. Um, her exam was you know, significant for the fact that she had decreased range of motion and pain palpation of her shoulder girdle, pain palpation on the lateral aspects of her hips, did not have any inflammatory um, findings on peripheral joints, pulses were symmetrical throughout. And fortunately, uh, you know, temporality was uh, palpable. There were no, no scalp tenderness or any other kind of ischemic symptoms. And the diagnosis of concern um, was 
PMR, which uh, as we have heard um, in some of the DNRs as um, spinach to Popeye, patient was feeling significantly improved by the next day after getting her first dose of steroids with at least a 50% improvement that continued to improve throughout the, the, the next few days. Um, this patient had had an extensive workup. It, to my, at that point, uh, there was no significant concern of, of, of any kind of uptake in the shoulder or pelvic girdle, but as this has been discussed also before, and there's growing evidence about the use of PET scan for the assessment of, particularly diagnostic assessment of PMR, we usually can also look for uptake in the shoulder uh, and pelvic girdle, as well as uh, in the interspinous processes in the spine, and also some distal um, uptake in, in hands. Uh, it was not necessarily the case for this patient, but she had a pretty significant res response to steroids with complete resolution of inflammatory markers, going back to her uh, functional uh, state and her daily activities without any issues. So again, uh, highlighting the, the, the fun cases that we sometimes get involved and the crucial impact that we can have for patients when just history taking can be very important and listening to, to patients and understanding the before and after, getting an idea of what is the change in daily activity, what are the symptoms, because it might not be the case that the patients necessarily tell us, I'm, I have stiffness and pain, and it might take them a while to really realize that, but that change in mobility, that change in, um, in their ability to go on with their daily activities in the context of, of low-grade fevers should always raise a concern for PMR as a cost of FEO. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this QD clinic.